listening to the sermon podcast of Brockport First Baptist. We are a progressive American Baptist congregation located about 20 minutes outside of Rochester, New York. To learn more about our church and support our ministries, please visit BrockportFirstBaptist.org. And now a reading from the Word of the Lord, Luke, verse 15. Uh, 1 through 10, page 850 in your pew Bibles. Now all the tax collectors and sinners were coming near to listen to him, and the Pharisees and the scribes were grumbling and saying, This fellow welcomes sinners and eats with them. So he told them this parable, Which one of you, having a hundred sheep and losing one of them, does not leave the ninety-nine in the wilderness and go after the one that is lost until he finds it? When he has found it, he lays it on his shoulders and rejoices. And when he comes home, he calls together his friends and neighbors, saying to them, Rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep that was lost. Just so, I tell you, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over ninety-nine righteous persons who need no repentance. Or what woman having ten silver coins, if she loses one of them, does not light a lamp, sweep the house, and search carefully until she finds it. When she has found it, she calls together her friends and neighbors, saying, Rejoice with me, for I have found the coin that I had just lost. Just so I tell you, there is joy in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents." Thanks, JW. <clears throat> Good morning, everybody. So my wife, Erin, was in Los Angeles for most of the week on business. She came back uh, yesterday, uh, which means I was doing the single parent thing all week. Um, and I think it went pretty well. Uh, the kids only missed like three or four meals, uh, and there was just that one trip to the hospital. I'd call that a win. Um, no. I'm kidding. Of course, there's no trip to the hospital. The kids are fine. We had a blast. Um, I do stand before you a little bit more exhausted uh, than normal this morning and deeply grateful for my wife. We're looking at two parables uh, today, and they're actually two parables in a series of three. One is about a lost coin, one's about a lost sheep, and the third, which we're going to look at next week, is about a lost son. Um, Now, ideally, we'd look at all three of these together because that's what Luke does by grouping them together, Uh, but that would be way too much ground to cover in a single sermon, and I'm pretty sure most of you want to get out of here by lunch, so we're going to keep it focused on the first two today. The parables of the lost sheep and lost coin actually have a lot in common. There's a number of parallels between these two stories. Both stories have a main character who lost something. They go to great lengths to find it. And then once they find it, they throw a party, invite a bunch of their friends over to celebrate. The one story is about a shepherd who loses a sheep, one of a hundred, and then risks the other 99 sheep in the flock to go looking for the lost one. The other story is about a woman who loses a silver coin, one of ten, and then she turns her whole house upside down to find it. A few observations about these stories right off the bat. Um, First, it's really interesting that Jesus tells two parables that are so similar, one about a man, one about a woman, and holds them so closely in parallel. 
This was a culture in the first century that was extremely patriarchal. Women were basically treated like property. They had zero rights. They couldn't even testify in court. The realm of men and the realm of women was kept very separate, and it was understood that the men's realm was over the woman's one back then. But Jesus comes along and tells these two stories, one about a man, one about a woman, and he holds them in parallel, emphasizing their sameness. You could almost call that egalitarian. And in fact, if you're looking for like feminine imagery for God in Scripture, this story actually has it for you. Um, in the second parable, God is a woman sweeping her house to find a lost coin. God loves you. God yearns for you like a lady who turned her entire house upside down to find one little coin. That's one observation about like the gender dynamics at play here. Another observation that's probably lost on us, though, <clears throat> both of these parables are told in a way that deliberately alienates the audience Jesus is talking to. The way he tells these stories would have pushed his audience away. It would have otherized them. It would have made them feel out of place in some way, maybe even offended them. Before Jesus tells these stories, he's hanging out with a bunch of tax collectors and sinners, basically like the dregs of society for back then. And the religious leaders see this, and they're just scandalized. Here's Jesus, this holy man, this respected teacher and prophet, hanging out with unclean people. And so Jesus turns to these religious leaders, and he tells them three stories. One about a sheep, one about a coin, one about a son. And this first story about the sheep is especially set up to scandalize these religious folks even more. It's right here in his opening line. Jesus' opening line of the parable, which one of you, having a hundred sheep and losing one of them, does not leave the 99 in the wilderness and go after the one that is lost until he finds it? This seemingly innocent question would have been incredibly provocative to these religious leaders and to anyone who happened to be listening in on the conversation. Being a shepherd in the first century was an incredibly dirty job. We're talking about as blue-collar as it gets. Shepherds would have been dirty. They would have stunk. They did physical labor around animals. A shepherd back then would have been viewed pretty much universally as unclean. And Jesus is talking to a bunch of scribes and Pharisees. These are white-collar religious folks, folks who work with, like, texts and books. They're not working around animals. These are people who pride themselves on their cleanliness and their purity. The people Jesus is talking to wouldn't have been caught dead tending sheep. And so when he opens with a line like, which of you having a hundred sheep? That would have instantly alienated these religious elites. It would almost be the equivalent of, like, like, today, sitting down with a group of pastors and leading off with a line that's like, you know when you're managing a nightclub and your best dancer twists her ankle? How many of us have been there? You would never say that, right? Like, not to a group of pastors. A smart person wouldn't even use that as an example in a sermon. 
Um, <laughs> you would never say that. But Jesus leads off with a line like this because he wants to put his audience on edge. He wants to take these religious folks, these elites who are thumbing their nose at these sinners on the margins, and he wants to push them to the outside. This story has the effect of just pushing them away. The last coin does something sort of similar. Um, the ten coins this woman has are called drachmas. The drachma is an old unit of coinage from the Greco-Roman world. It was roughly the equivalent of like what a day laborer would receive for a day's pay. Um, someone doing like either hard labor or menial work, but a, basically a poor person's pay. One estimate I found is that a drachma could buy about enough food for one person for two days. So these coins are not all that valuable, especially if you're a well-to-do, white-collar religious leader or pastor or teacher who's not too worried about where their next meal is coming from. And from the way Jesus tells this story, we can probably assume that these 10 coins, these 10 drachma, that's probably all the savings this woman has. This parable is a picture of abject poverty. It's almost like Jesus is saying, you know the drachma, that worthless coin that you wouldn't worry about losing? You probably have a handful of them in your pocket right now. To some people, that coin is actually worth a lot. These religious folks are looking down on Jesus for talking to the lost, talking to sinners. And so Jesus tells them these stories about lost things they wouldn't value, a filthy sheep and a worthless coin. Driving home the point that for some people, and especially for God, these things are worth a lot. Can I get an amen to that one? Amen. amen. Thank you. Excellent. So these pretty simple stories, last sheep, last coin, they're familiar, but they would have been pretty scandalous to the religious insiders of the day. And we're basically the religious insiders of today, right? I mean, we're, we're here literally inside a church. You can't say that about a lot of people. So how might these stories challenge us? There's a few things, I think. There's a few really challenging lessons that we can take from these stories. The first has to do with our understanding of God. These two parables paint a picture of God that makes God look really desperate. The shepherd in the first story is managing a flock of 100 sheep. I'm curious, do we have any shepherds here today? Okay, probably more likely to have a person named shepherd, but it's okay. We don't have shepherds. It's all right. From what I understand, 100 sheep is not a very big flock. This, this shepherd is either really, really poor, or he's an employee managing a portion of the flock for someone else. Either way, he needs to find the sheep. He is desperate to find this sheep. And we already talked about the desperation of the woman who lost her coin. These are the God characters in the story. Like a lot of times in parables, there's a character who's supposed to kind of be the stand-in for God. In this case, God is a shepherd who's desperate to find a sheep or an impoverished woman who's lost her coin. 
These are images of desperation, and they imply that God is desperate for us. Now, that might make us a bit uncomfortable, because we tend to associate desperation with weakness, and we don't want a weak God. We want a strong God. We want a powerful God, a God who can kick butt and take names. A God who can defeat our enemies and elevate us. We don't want a desperate God. We don't want a God who'd risk the entire flock just to find one sheep. That's crazy. We don't want a God who's frantically sweeping her house to find one little worthless coin. And yet that's the picture of God we get in these stories. And it actually tracks pretty well with other pictures of God we find in the Bible. If you go all the way back to Genesis, the very beginning, Adam and Eve, when they take that fruit off the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, forever separating their connection with God, what's the first question or what's the first thing God says to them? Does anyone remember? Does anyone remember that line? Craig, don't spoil it. Does anyone remember? Where are you? Where are you? Tone is everything here. I think a lot of times we hear this question in anger when we read this story, right? Like, where are you? You know, like Batman voice. Maybe we should hear desperation. Where are you? God is desperate for you. If you're lost, if you don't know God, if you don't know Jesus, If there's a wall of separation between you and God, God is searching desperately for you. I have a really good friend who's not a Christian, and whenever he and I talk about matters of faith, he always, it kind of comes back to this idea that he just doesn't need God right now. Like God is just not a relevant part of his life. And before really digging into these stories, I never thought to say to my friend, maybe God needs you. Maybe God needs us. Maybe God is desperately searching for us. Maybe God won't stop until God finds us. Some people would call that weak. I think that's beautiful. And if these two stories challenge our view of God and God's relationship to the lost, then they should really challenge our view of the lost as well. People outside the church, people who don't know God, people we might disregard as sinners, People that you might scoff if you see someone like me talking to them. I don't know about you all, but I grew up in a church um, where the gospel, the message of salvation, started out by emphasizing how terrible you are. Whether we're talking about, like, the Romans Road or the ABCs of Salvation or anything else that you read on, like, a tract in the 1980s, they always started out with, you're a sinner. You're broken. You're messed up. You've fallen short. You are a blemish in the eye of God. A sinner from birth, guilty unto death, worthy of nothing but damnation. We've been starting our gospel message with original sin. When maybe we should have started with original value. You are loved by God. You've been instilled with immeasurable worth, immeasurable value. If you've ever been told that you're worthless, that you don't have value, that you don't belong, don't believe it. The same God who stitched the universe together created you. 
and that God loves you, and that God is searching desperately for you. Like a shepherd who lost his sheep, or a woman who lost her coin. So often when we talk about salvation, we start with Genesis 3, the fall, when we should be starting with Genesis 1, and the God who calls each one of us into existence out of love. Maybe you're not a religious insider. Maybe someone, like, dragged you to church today. Maybe you came here out of guilt or out of duty or habit or shame. Maybe it took, like, every ounce of courage and strength in your being just to open that door and walk in here today. If that's you, we're glad you're here. I'm glad you're here. And I would love nothing more than to have a conversation with you over coffee or tea, to hear your story, to pray with you, to hear any complaints you have about how the church has mistreated you or failed you. Maybe talk about God and Jesus and faith, what it's all about, what we're doing here. And if that's interesting to you, if you want to do that, all you have to do is put your name on this card. You can give it to an usher after the service. You can give it to me. You can leave it in your seat. Someone will find it and make sure it gets to me. We won't put you on a mailing list. We won't bombard you with phone calls and emails, but I promise to personally contact you, to connect with you in whatever way you're most comfortable with, and to serve you however I can. And I'll do that because I believe that God loves you. I believe that God is searching for you. I believe you have immeasurable value in the eyes of God, and I'm not going to stop until you believe that too. Let's pray. God, thank you for stories about lost sheep and lost coins. Stories that remind us of our value and reveal the immensity of your love for us. Thank you, God, for sending your son to save us, to dwell among us, to heal us, to show us what it looks like to follow you, and to conquer sin and death for us on the cross. God, it's in his name we pray. Amen. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed what you heard, please be sure to rate, review, and subscribe to this podcast on iTunes. You can connect with us on Facebook at Brockport First Baptist, on Twitter at BrockportFB, and on our website, BrockportFirstBaptist.org. Our theme music was composed by Scott Holmes. This has been a production of Brockport First Baptist.